0: Hey everyone, Pastor Blake Harkup here from Bedrock, Sarasota. I just wanted to take a minute to welcome you to our podcast. We hope that you get to know God more, that you feel encouraged, and that you see how God's moving in your life from a brand new perspective. Enjoy today's message. How's everybody doing? Having a good night? Good. All right. Good. Well, I am excited to continue on in our series on the book of Romans. I'm going to use this as an object lesson here in just a second. So I'm going to move it while I'm talking to you in the beginning. Um, But we are going to be continuing on in our series, and if you have been with us, you know we're going verse by verse kind of through the book of Romans, and tonight we're going to be in Romans chapter 5, the second half, and chapter 6. And so we're going to try to get through this kind of chapter and a half of Scripture, and here's what I want you to understand. When we go through these things, I really want you to have kind of like a 10,000 foot view about what is actually happening in the passage. Because I think sometimes you've heard the phrase, we lose the forest through the trees, right? We get so kind of microscopic on things that we can tend to kind of forget what's actually going on. And so I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, uh, I had babysitters and I had terrible luck with babysitters. Actually, probably better put it this way. Babysitters had terrible luck with me. Okay. (laughs) Um, So I'm going to just share a few stories. My mom is here. She's gonna remember these probably pretty well. Uh, the first happened. I was probably around five years old. My brother, um, he was colicky, so my mom decided to hire a babysitter that was an older an older lady. She thought, you know. He's crying all the time. We need some experience. We need all these things. Well, I hated this lady. And so um, my neighbors and I, we were playing outside, and we heard her kind of yell like, Blake, it's, it's time for dinner. And we, I didn't want to go in with her. So my friends and I hid in the woods. And so she went back in, and then we went through the woods around, and then we went to the back of their house and walked in their house. And that's where we hung out in their playroom and watched movies. Well, it was maybe like 45 minutes later, an hour later, uh, there's a knock on the door at my friend's house, and it's a police officer. And uh, my buddy Richard opens the door, and he's like, have you guys seen Blake Harkup? And they're like, yeah, he's in the back. And so literally, like, uh, the, the whole neighborhood was full of police and our neighbors looking for me because they thought I was lost. So I went into the house, my parents were there, And I remember like sitting down on the couch and this lady, you know, obviously she had a bad day because I was missing. And she, I remember her saying, I, you know, I can't do this. I quit. And I said, good. And that was at five years old. And so my mom and dad decided like, hey, maybe we don't go out for a while. Like we're going to kind of back off the babysitting thing for just a little bit. So then a few years later, um, my parents decided like, hey, let's try this again. Let's go get another babysitter. And so, but they're like, you know what? We're going to hire a guy this time because my brother and I just, we just wanted to fight people all the time. And so she hired this neighbor kid. I don't know how old he was, like 15, 16, whatever. Well, um, that night, I ended up breaking my arm um, because my brother punched me off the back of the couch, and I flipped off the back and broke my arm. But my mom was actually at a movie during that time, and she got this kind of, this is before cell phones, so she got this feeling like, hey, I need to go home. So when my mom gets home, my brother's crying in the kitchen, I am sitting on the couch with like a crooked arm crying and Beavis and Butthead is on the TV. And so when, if you was 90s, you know, like you're, I was in first grade, I was seven years old. I should not have been watching a show called Beavis and Butthead, right? And so that was the end of babysitting for quite some time for us in our house. Um, we finally found a guy that worked. His name was Alex. He kept bees in our neighborhood. And so we would just go look at the bees. And finally, my parents were able to go out. But the reason that like we couldn't handle that is because we didn't know how to be obedient yet. Like We didn't know like with any kind of freedom that came. We didn't quite know how to handle it, right? When you hide from your babysitter in the woods and then in your neighbor's house, you're kind of showing your parents, like, he's not ready for us to leave yet. And so... I remember then a few years later, like we, my parents, we were kind of finally old enough to go out and, and like they could go out and leave us at home. And I was in charge, I'm the oldest. And it was probably sheer terror for my siblings because I ran a tight ship. No, the reality is I was a terror and I literally like probably like harassed them completely. And what my parents realized soon and what I realized soon is like the issue isn't really about freedom, it's what you do with freedom. Right? I mean, that, that's what this is all about. And last week, we talked all about in Christ, when we're justified in Christ through faith, we're free. We've been freed from all of these different things. And what Paul's going to get to in these next like, chapter and a half is what we do with freedom. Because the reality is, is once freedom has been won, it needs to be preserved. And I don't know about you, but a lot of us aren't good at being free people. We're not good at at everything laid off the reins and we can just do whatever we want. We tend to get ourselves in a lot of trouble. And so Paul is going to help show us today that now that we're a free people, we really have these kind of decisions that we need to make and what we're going to be doing. And so remember our key phrase for the book of Romans is this phrase, what Jesus did changes who we are and all that we do. Let me say it again. What Jesus did changes who we are as people. It transforms us. And then out of who we are, we now change the way that we live. So Jesus isn't like moral behavior modification. Some of us are treating Christianity like that. We're treating Christianity like, oh, I just need to change my behavior. I just need to change some of the things about what I do. And Jesus is saying, no, Christianity is about being transformed in your heart. And when your heart is transformed, then what you do will be changed. And so Paul's going to say, like, we have to help you understand this transformation. And so if you have a Bible with you, open up to Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12. We're going to jump into the word of God right here. So listen to this. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Therefore, everyone say, therefore. Remember, we talked about this last time. Right? When we're reading the word of God, there's certain words and phrases and things that need to jump out at us as the reader. Because what Paul's saying is, hey, because of what I just talked about, this is now what's going to happen. This is what you need to understand about what is going to happen. So he says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin... And so death spread to all men because all sinned. This is this kind of um, understanding. There's this theological word that we use for this phrase. It's called original sin. Original sin says this. Adam and Eve, real people, figureheads, whatever you believe on this, the Bible says that they come to represent humanity. They represent humanity. And what happened was is when Adam and Eve fell, sin became part of all of humanity. And some of you are like, I don't believe that. Well, have little kids because you don't need to teach your little kids to lie. You don't need to teach your little kids to steal. I never taught my kids, go steal this, go be sneaky, go do this. It was part of their nature, right? Even today, Jude the dude, I'm calling him out, right? I said, no more cookies. So what did you do? He ran, hid, and got a cookie and then tried to hide it. But he he was only like in his his underwear, so he had nowhere to hide it, so he just was like this. And I was like, what you got there, bud? And he's like, nothing. And and then he tried to eat it fast, right? I didn't have to teach Jude to do that. It's part of his nature. And that's what the Bible's saying here. Hey, through one person, everybody else is going to fall short now. That's what happens because it represents humanity. But then it says this. We're going to jump down to verse 15. It says this. But... The free gift is not like the trespass for if many died through one man's trespass much more have the has have the grace of God in free gift by the grace of that one man Jesus Christ abounded for many. So here's what this means. The Bible's saying this, through one man representative all have sinned and we all have this sin issue in our life. We have this natural propensity to move towards sin. Let me just say it this way. You will not drift in your life towards holiness. If you just kind of like let go and let something just happen, if you're going to let that happen, you're not going to move towards holiness in your life because that's not a natural part of who we are as people. It's just like this. If you go to the beach and there's a big current and you kind of take your feet off the ground, you will drift down the beach, right? The same is true in our lives when it comes to our character. We will drift towards something else. And so just as sin entered the world through one, the Bible says this. And then there was another one. His name is Jesus Christ. And that Through him and belief in him, we all may inherit grace and forgiveness of sin. And so here's kind of the reality of what happens. There's really only two choices or two ways to go in life. That's it. It's either you're moving towards God or you're not moving towards God. That's it. And I know that a lot of us say, I want to just be neutral, I haven't decided about Jesus yet. I haven't decided about God yet. But you're not sitting still when you do that. And let me just tell you, moral behavior modification gets tiring. That's why people have to continue to go to counseling. Have you ever done that? You all of a sudden are doing better. Life is good, everything is okay, and somehow you drift again and you're kind of back near where you started and you gotta go back. Because you're either moving one way or the other. And so what Paul's going to do is he's going to say this. He's going to say, look, there's some differences between this free gift and what Adam did. And the Bible, he, Paul uses this word free gift almost nine times in these f- couple of verses. He wants you and I to understand that Jesus is this free gift. There's nothing that you can do to earn Jesus. Jesus was a gift to us. There's no strings attached. Jesus doesn't say, hey, believe in me and make sure all the good outweighs the bad after this. I want to make sure I bought something of quality. So you better be quality after I save you. Jesus says, no, it's a free gift. There is no strings attached. And for so many of us in this room, we don't believe it. Why? because we live in a world where there's strings attached to everything, right? How many of you have gotten a deal or you heard a deal on the phone or or on an email or something like that, and it's just too good to be true? And you're suspicious. Why? Because we know there's no such thing as that, except when it comes to God. And that is good news for you and I, because what God is saying is like, hey, you couldn't make your way up here, so I'm going to make my way down there. I'm going to come, and I'm going to get you, and I'm going to bring you to me. And so in the next couple verses, Paul begins to kind of describe the two ways the roads go. The first is, is Adam. The first thing he says is it leads to death, verses 12 and 15. The way of Adam, the original sin, the thing that we're born into, moves towards death. He says that the free gift moves us to life. He says that the problem, Adam, affected all people. The free gift is for those who accept it. So for everyone who accepts it, it's good. But you've got to receive it. So we all have a common condition, a common problem of sin. And this gift is for whoever would receive it. In Adam, we have condemnation. In Jesus, in this free gift, we have forgiveness. In Adam, we have judgment In Jesus, we have grace. And here's the incredible thing that Paul says. He says, the trespass is not like the gift. Because of one sin, everyone fell. And because of the one gift, all the sins were forgiven. And here's what he's saying. Jesus is much better than Adam. What Adam could not do, Jesus did. Jesus came to save us. And then this is what it all comes down to. The brass tacks of all of this comes in chapter 5, verse 19. It says this, For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So here's what happens in this moment. This really just comes down to obedience, and you're like, I don't like that word, that sounds like kind of real rigid, and that sounds hard, but let me just tell you something, you're obeying something in this life. Every time your stomach growls, and you got to go get something to eat, you're obeying. Right? Every time you're thirsty, and you go get a drink, you're obeying. The reality is, is for so many of us, we're worried about being obedient to God because we think it's going to be judgmental and hard and he's gonna be our cosmic killjoy. And that's the furthest thing from the truth. And so the real question is, is what, what Paul's doing is he's comparing Adam's disobedience to Jesus's obedience. And the rest of this chapter and the next are all about what happens in this moment. But let me just tell you what is an obedience killer. Fear will kill obedience. Fear will kill obedience. I didn't want to be around that old lady because I feared and knew she would make my life miserable. So what did I do? I was disobedient. I went and ran in the woods and hid in the back of a house and made my parents have a heart attack. Probably this lady She's maybe in heaven looking down right now. I'm sorry, right? Like, but here's the deal. Sometimes the fear is this. There's two types. One is I'm gonna miss out. So if I'm obedient to God, I'm gonna miss out on some things in this life that I really wanna experience, that I really wanna do, that I really wanna see. And man, I I just wanna do some things in this life and I know they're not good for me, but I still wanna do it. I'm afraid I'm gonna miss out. But we've all met those people in life who went down the road that we didn't and shouldn't go down. And they always warn us, don't go down this road. They always warn us like, hey, don't go down this road. The end of this road is no good. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, hey, the end of the road of disobedience is death. You are like you're going to die. Well, maybe physically, emotionally, relationally. Intellectually, yes. So what does God say? Don't go down this road because the end of this road is misery. And so I want to save you from that. I want to save you from the end of that road. And so I'm just going to ask that you listen to what I say because the end of the road with me is heaven and Jesus. And any parent in here knows this. The reason you ask your kids not to do certain things is for their good, not their bad. I mean, kids just think, you're here to mess up my life. You're here to to do this. Why can't I just be happy? Why can't I just have joy? Why can't I just try these things? Because the people who have been down that road before are warning you not to step into that road. So the first fear is I'm gonna miss out. This was me when I was younger. Right, I'm gonna miss out. I'm scared. Right, I, I want to miss out on some things. I don't want to miss out on these these things in my life. Right, the first time I heard about the rapture, I freaked out. Okay, because I was like 16. I hadn't um, had intimate relations yet, and so I was like, "God, don't come back yet." God, I don't want to miss out. Okay, like wait, wait. Okay, the rapture. I'm gonna get caught up. This could happen at any second. Hold on. And because I had a fear of missing out, I went and did things I shouldn't have done. And everybody warned me, don't do this. Don't go down this road. Don't awaken these things. Don't bring them into your life too soon. But I did. I did. And many of us have right because of fear the fomo right like i just don't want to miss out on some things in this life and god says i don't want you to miss out on them either i just want you to have the right things in the right season cuz let me tell you like being intimate before you're married and i'm using these words wisely because there's young kids in this room but being intimate before you're married feels the same as when you are married it's just the feeling after that's a lot different it's wonderful in marriage and intimacy is wonderful. The church, we do such a bad job of talking about this because we talk about intimacy, that it's dirty, nasty, shameful, awful, the worst thing in the world until you get married. And then all of a sudden you flip a switch in your mind and you go, oh, now it's the best. It's awesome. Yeah. All right. You're like, well, I'm having schizophrenia here. Like what? Like 10 minutes ago before I was married, it was awful. And now it's the best. The Bible teaches this. It's the best in the right season. And so what the Bible's saying is is this. I want you to enjoy this. I just want you to enjoy this without the negative consequence of it. And I messed up in that part of my life. And so I've been on both sides of the disobedience and the obedience. And let me just tell you, the obedience is a lot better because it's not accompanied by guilt, shame, fear, anxiety, worry. If you've walked down that road before in your life, Okay, so what do we do now? Let's get back on the side that we should be. It's not a problem. It's never too late and we're going to see that here in just a second. But the second fear is you're afraid because if you you might be disobedient by accident. So some of us are paralyzed in this room by paralysis by analysis. Right? Like you won't move in any direction because you're so afraid. That, well, although I mean to be obedient, what if I am disobedient? Paul's going to help us here. Paul's going to help us understand this. Here's what Paul's going to do. This is you and I. This is our life. This is what goes on. Like, everything's good. Life is good. Everything is okay. This is what Paul said earlier in the chapter. This thing called sin entered the world through Adam. And everybody sinned because of Adam. And so what was perfect is now perfectly not perfect. And Adam says, hey, I need you to understand something. This is not where God leaves you. Look at what it says in chapter 5, starting in verse 20. It says, now the law came to increase the trespass. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also may reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so here's what the Bible's saying Adam, and through his sin, and through our own, has come and tainted our life. We've got a problem. And then this guy named Jesus comes into the world. And what the Bible says is Jesus, when you and I believe in him, Jesus comes into your life and he begins to change your life. And he begins to wash you white as snow. And what was sinful is now pure. And he said, where sin abounded, the grace of Jesus Christ abounded all the more. And here's what he says. This is how it works. Because some of us are afraid of being obedient or disobedient. And so this is grace. This is the grace of God in our life. It is always above us. It is always for us. It is always going to make things right. And so as we sin and as we do more things and all of this stuff happens, eventually what happens is it's okay. What? Magic. Magic. Here's what this is saying to you and I. You do not need to fear this life. For when we have believed in Jesus Christ, what was impure becomes pure because of Jesus. And that you and I do not need to fear the rest of our life for where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And so you and I can now actually enjoy our freedom you and I have the freedom to be obedient because you and I are not in this place anymore of judgment of of these things going wrong in our life for we are in Christ and in Christ alone. And so Paul then goes on in this next part of the chapter and he's gonna say the same thing that you and I say, right? Because he says, where sin abounds, we see the grace of God do more. We see the grace of God move over our life more and more and more. And so if you're like me, you're a smart aleck, and Paul anticipates that, right? Because you're going to say, well, then why wouldn't I keep sinning so the grace of God can abound more and more in this world? Right? Like, I'll just keep doing it. And then Jesus just shows up more and more and more. And what Paul says is you don't understand what's happened to you. Just because grace is there doesn't mean you need to abuse it. Look at what it says, chapter 6, starting in verse 1. What then shall we, we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Because here's what it is. Jesus is always going to be more than enough. Jesus is always going to be. Notice I didn't have to put more of Jesus in into the picture to make sure that the sin was taken away. What was in there, what Jesus filled us with, his death was fully sufficient for whatever I pour in there. And so whatever happens in your life, you don't need to be worried about losing your salvation because here's the deal. It's covered. It abounds. You can't out his grace. So Jesus will always be more than enough. And some of you in this room need to hear that. It's his work in us, not our work to bring him in to clean us up. He enters us. He purifies us. He takes care of us. And so if you're in this room and you're like, but I've been disobedient, Pastor Blake. I've done things that I shouldn't have done. And you feel like the water in your life is stained. Romans 20 and 21 tells us a different story. That there is nothing that you can do that can take away the grace or salvation of God in your life. The only thing that can do that is if it never took place in the first place. And so what Paul's gonna say is he's always going to be enough, but here's what happens to you and I. Paul's gonna now introduce this thought to us that the old you is gone. The old is gone, but let me just tell you something. Don't entertain ghosts. So Paul's going to say, look, should we keep on sinning so that grace may abound all the more? He says, no, you don't understand the grace. You don't understand the gift. You don't understand what's going to happen because here's what Paul says, and he starts to talk about baptism here. And he says, when we were baptized, what signifies there is that we were buried in the old us died, and a new person in a new creation was raised to life. But some of you and I are entertaining ghosts in our life. We're entertaining our past, in our old desires, in the things that used to rule us, in the things that used to take us over, in the things that used to come against us. And too many times we're entertaining ghosts in our life. Here's what Paul says. He says this, starting in Romans chapter six, verse six, it says this, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also be raised with him. Here's what Paul says. You and I don't need to fear. You and I don't need to obey the things that we don't want to anymore. Can we just all be honest in our life right here? Some of the things that we put on that wall that we needed breakthrough for, that we put on here, is dealing with sin from the old self. You're dealing with this thing that has now died with Christ. That's what Paul says. He says, Look, you need to understand. Should we keep on sinning The grace may abound? No, because that old person, that old thing is gone. He died. She died a long time ago with Jesus. And then he raised you back to the newness of life. That's why when we do baptisms, we'll bring somebody up and I'll say, you know, have you believed in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? I have. And then I'll say this, based upon your profession of faith, I now baptize you, my brother or sister, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life. That comes directly right here from this chapter of the Bible. That's what we believe. We believe that it's not the baptism that saved us because we believe that when we believe in Jesus, our flesh has been crucified and we have been brought to this newness of life. It's called spiritual baptism. And so, should we keep on sinning? Absolutely not. Because here's the deal. You and I need to understand that sin is losing its power over us. So, here's what happens when you and I get saved. We are declared righteous. Justification. Right? We are declared righteous. And then after that, when we are buried in the likeness of his death, raised to walk in newness of life, we deal with this thing called sanctification. That means that it's this process in our life that we are being made more and more into the image of Jesus. Here's what that means. Sin is losing its power over you. Why? Because all of a sudden you've tasted the better side. You've seen the good. You've seen what it's like to live a life for God and so your desire for the things that you know will bring you death in your life go away. Right. It's like how many of us like you go back like I know that there's sometimes comfort in the mac and cheese or like, you know, the things that you ate as a kid. But there's some things that I go back to that I ate as a kid and I'm like, why did I ever eat that? You know what I mean? I'm like, what? This is nasty. It's awful. What am I doing? You know why? Because I've cultivated a taste for something better. And for some of us in this room, we need to cultivate our appetite for something better. You have been saved and you have been rescued and Jesus has done an incredible work in your life. And so here's what Paul's gonna ask us. And he's gonna ask you and I the same question. Romans chapter six, verses 16 to 18, it says this. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, Or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves to righteousness. Here's what Paul's saying. What are you choosing to be obedient to? The reality is, is that now that we have been saved, We are free to make a choice. The Bible says before you become saved, original sin gives you no choice. Does that mean the only thing that you do is sin? No. But it means a lot of the things that we do do are marred by sin. They have this, the water's tinted, right? And you're like, I don't know about this, Pastor Blake. I, I don't know if I believe this. Well, really, every Boy Scout who does a great thing to earn a badge is doing a selfish thing. Right? I mean, is it bad that he walked the old lady across the street? Absolutely not. Do we look at him and go, you're awful, kid. You walked this old lady across the street for a badge? Not at all. But was it purely, truly altruistic? No. That's what the Bible means. When the Bible says that we everything's been marred by sin, that everything's been touched by sin, it means that everything's tainted just a bit. Doesn't mean that they're totally bad. It just means that we have these selfish desires and things that we do. And so what Paul says is this. As you become obedient to Christ, as you choose what you're going to be obedient to, God can do a miraculous work in your life. So the choice is yours. He says this. What are you choosing to be obedient to? Let me ask you this. What is entering into your life right now based upon your obedience to something? Are you bringing in death or life. See, some of us all want God to leave us alone until we don't, right? We all want the ability to do what we want until we don't, right? Because has anybody in this room ever gotten into something where you were choosing to do something you shouldn't be doing, and then the consequence comes, and you're like, God, why didn't you stop me? Why didn't you intervene? Why didn't you do this? Well, we all have a real problem, don't we? God says this after salvation, you have some choosing to do. But here's the deal even when you choose the wrong things, I'm going to take care of it. It's already done, it's already taken care of. You're already free, you're already healed, it's already been dealt with. But here's the deal that makes you appreciative. Because we've received so much grace from Jesus Christ that even our new sins and the things that are coming are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. But let me just tell you something. When you experience a love like that, you don't want to take advantage of it. You don't want to take advantage of it. And so let me just ask you this. By what you're being obedient to in your life right now, are you bringing death or are you bringing life into your life? The great thing is that when we repent and when we move towards him, Jesus says he will help us move forward in him. See, because here's what the Bible says. Romans 6.23 says this. this. is When I teach evangelism, this is the one verse of evangelism. If you, you want to learn like the gospel in Jesus Christ in one verse, this is one verse evangelism. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Here's what God's saying. The choice is yours. The results aren't. The choice of who and I are going to be obedient to in this life, what we're going to walk towards and move forward towards in this life, yes. if If you've believed, you have the choice to be obedient or not be obedient. And you're definitely covered by the blood of the lamb. But here's the deal. The results of those choices are not in our hands. And God lays out the results very easily for us. Sin, death. Jesus, eternal life. And so as we kind of walk into this moment, let me just ask you where you are in your life. Like, I hope that this message is encouraging to you. Because you and I, even when we're disobedient, even when we mess up, if we're in Jesus Christ, we're okay. If we're not the water's just getting murkier. The water is just not as clean as it used to be. And here's the deal. As soon as Jesus enters your life, it can be as if nothing ever gone, had gone wrong in your life. I'm going to end with this story, and then we're going to give you all a chance to respond. I heard this a few years ago. There, uh, Bentley, everyone know the motor car Bentley? So Bentley had this reputation way back in the day that they were the motor car that never broke down. Ever. They never broke down. And so this guy, he had a Bentley, and he had gone to France, and he was driving his Bentley in France, and guess what happened? His Bentley broke down. So he made it to like a hotel, and he calls Bentley Motor Company and says, Hey, I just want to let you know that uh, <laughs> the car that never breaks down broke down, and I'm stranded. And so the technician said, okay, sir, no problem. Um, Where is the vehicle? And he told him, and he said, great. We're sending a technician to you. Can you imagine that? My car broke down in France. We're bringing a guy. Just hold on. So the guy comes out. The guy fixes the Bentley. He's back on his way. Life is good. The technician goes back to England. A month later, the guy calls Bentley and says, hey, I never got a bill. I never got a bill for your repairs. I never got a bill. Like, I know you sent a technician out. I know he had to do some things to the car. He goes, I I never got a bill. And the guy on the phone says, funny you should say that, sir. I'm looking at your records, and it says that nothing has ever gone wrong with your car. (laughs) Think about that that God would look at us and we're disobedient and we do things that we shouldn't do and we live for things that we shouldn't live and Jesus Christ enters our life and then God goes, we're sin abound, grace abounds all the more. And so when we phone in and we say, Lord, I'm sorry, God goes, looking at your life, it looks as if nothing has ever gone wrong in your life because of my son. And now you and I can be obedient to that and free in that because imagine the king of heaven The maker of your soul looking down at you right now and going, it's as if nothing has ever gone wrong in your life. For where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And out of gratitude and out of love, we'll be obedient. You say, Pastor, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this. It's always right to do the right thing. And so the very reason that we're doing baptisms next weekend is because of this. In this passage, it says, you were baptized. The very first act of obedience that God asks from you and I when we become Christians is to be baptized. That's it. He says this. The very first act of obedience is to be obedient in baptism, to declare publicly what I have done inside. And so let me ask you, church, maybe you need to be baptized next week. Not because you got saved here tonight, because you've never taken that first step. You've never done that first step of obedience. And let me just tell you something. The way that you build obedience in your life is step by step. You start with the next thing. And so if you want to be obedient to God in the big thing in your life, the big thing that he's called you to do, you've got to start in the little things. And so, church, as we end, John is going to sing in just a second. I want to ask you a question. Where do you need to be obedient in your call to God? Maybe it's that thing you need breakthrough for, that sin that needs to be gone. Let me just tell you, it's gone. You just need to start living like it. You need to stop entertaining ghosts and stop entertaining the old life and walk in the newness of life that God has for you. Maybe right now you need to just realize that the father of heaven looks down at you and looks at your life and goes, it's as if nothing has gone wrong in your life. That you felt guilt and shame and fear and anxiety before all of heaven. And maybe it's stopped your prayers and maybe it's stopped your reading because you go, I am so guilty. And God goes, no, you are so free. And out of that gratitude and out of that love and out of that that moment where we realize that we are really healed, that we can move forward in what God has called us to. So tonight, I'm just gonna ask you to respond to what God is calling you to be obedient to. Because this is what God's gonna say. That's where real life is. Because the things that I'm calling you to be obedient in are the things that are really gonna bring you life. And I want you to have a fullness of life. And because you're free, I need to teach you how to be a free people. And it starts with saying yes. And so maybe you're in this room and you've never said yes to Jesus. You're like the life that still had sin in his life and and the water was murky and things were wrong and sin had stained your life and the very first thing that you need to be obedient to is to say yes to the Son of God. To believe and confess that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior and he didn't just come for the whole world except for you. He came for you. And the Bible says that we receive that through obedience by accepting it. He is that free gift we heard all about. But a gift has to be open to be received. And maybe for the first time in your life tonight, you need to believe because you need the water to be clean because your soul is tired. Or maybe you just need to say yes. Maybe you think you've out God's grace. You can't. He's too good, he's too big, he's too wonderful, and the death of Jesus is too great. Maybe you just need to be obedient and God is saying, I need you to just let go of some things. I need you to let go of that shame. I need you to let go of that fear. I need you to let go of that trauma. I need you to let go of that anxiety. I need you to let go of that worry. I'm just gonna ask you to let it go trust, I'll take care of it. Because if I loved you enough to save you, I'll always love you enough to rescue you. God loves you more than we could ever comprehend or imagine. And so let's not respond out of obligation tonight. Let us respond out of love. For we have been the recipients of the greatest love the world has ever known. And so would you respond as God leads you to tonight? Thank you for jumping into today's message. And we truly hope that you were encouraged. If you were encouraged, would you like and share this with someone that you truly love and care about? It may just be the thing that they need to get through this week. Also, let us know how the message impacted you. And please let us know any ways that we can be praying for you. But finally, I just wanted to take a minute to thank all of our supporters and those who give generously to make all that we have and do here at Bedrock happen. If you'd like to support us, you can do that really quickly by texting 84321 with any amount and setting up text to give, or you can give on our website. Thank you once again for all that you do, and we hope to see you soon.